That was a testimony right there. Wow. Man, God is good. Amen. Man. Jasmine, Jasmine came into our church. I remember when Jasmine came in, everything she said about that in the beginning. Like, they don't know me. I could see that. I could see that when she walked in. You know, newcomers come in. I could see the I can see the you don't know me face. We can discern that very quickly. I ain't gonna raise my hands. You don't know me. You know, but man, God's done an amazing work in Jasmine. Uh, as she's been getting discipled through Kelly and uh, and Shelly, Kelly and Shelly, come on, come on. We didn't even plan that. I'm a poet and didn't know it. Come on. And uh, Kelly and Shelly, they did an amazing job. But Jasmine also opened up her heart. She made herself vulnerable uh, to allowing people to speak into her life. And uh, that's one thing that. You know, it does take a step of faith to sign up and to write down your name and then not just to write down your name, but then to actually come out and to go out week after week and say, you know what? I'm just going to come out. And even when my small group leader may say things to me or they may instruct me in a way that I don't maybe understand or maybe it doesn't make sense to me in that moment, but I'm going to just trust God and I'm going to I'm going to actually follow through. Um, As you do that, God just rewards you and he rewards you in such an amazing way. I mean, every time when I've been discipled and and leaders that have been over me, there's so many times where people tell me or they have told me, Marcus, you got to do this or this is what the Lord's saying to do. Or they would lovingly lead me. I remember with Pastor Christian as he discipled me and I was in like that really that relationship I didn't need to be in. He never told me to break up. He was just always like, so we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about sexual immorality, Marcus. And I'm like reading it and I'm feeling like heat, but I'm like right under the air, the air conditioner. So I'm like, why is it so hot up in here? You know, he's like, yeah, that it is hot over there, isn't it? You know? <laughs> And he would just, but he would lovingly lead me uh, to, to follow the Lord and to heed his voice. And that's really what, what small group and discipleship is about. It's not about forcing you down any particular path. There's definitely moments where a leader is forced to speak the truth in love. But really, it's about teaching you how to hear the Lord's voice and teaching you how to walk with him. And uh, so many people in our generation are afraid of that. We go to our leaders expecting for them to command us. When that's not how the Lord always wants to operate. Sometimes, sometimes you need a command. But then other times it's it's really through that kind of loving and teaching you how to hear his voice. I got a word from the Lord for you today. If you're ready, say I'm ready. ready. Mm. Oh, man, the Lord spoke this to me on Monday. He spoke this to me on Monday for you guys today. So I've been brewing and stewing over this word brooding hovering over it all week. And uh, I'll be honest, a part of me did not want to preach from this passage. I want you to turn from first turn That is not tongues. My mouth is dry. I need some water. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Will you there say amen? You guys are quick. Okay, we got some people that are telling the truth. I'm, I'm not there. I don't have my iPhone. I have pages. Everyone there say amen. amen. We're going to read through. This is one of the most controversial passages that Paul writes in the epistles. And it is about head coverings. When I was preparing on Monday and I opened up my Bible and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to preach about? And he's like, I want you to continue the series. I was like, okay. All right, cool. Let's do it. It's been powerful. And then I get to chapter 11 and I saw the word head coverings and I said, no, Lord, I don't want to preach on head coverings. It's like if I preach about head coverings, all the sisters are going to leave the church because I'm going to tell them that the Bible says you need to be covered from head to toe with a veil and all the brothers are going to leave. (laughs) 
Because the brothers don't want to be in a church where all the sisters are covered from head to toe. Pastor Marcus, I'm trying to get married. I can't even see her face. I'm attracted to her ankle. If you're new to New Philly, I want to tell you that we have a culture of freedom. We believe that freedom is for everyone. And a lot of ways in that, in that that freedom is expressed in the fact that we like to laugh. And so we will laugh on Sundays. We will have fun on Sundays. I know that one sister, she came out to our church and it was a Sunday I was preaching on discipline. And she ended up staying at our church because she was like, I didn't know a sermon on discipline could be fun. I was like, that is what it means to receive the Lord in a place where there's freedom. Yeah, so we're going to read verses 2 to 16. And man, the Lord really wants to speak to us today. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm, you read verse 2. I'll read the odd. We'll go back and forth and we'll read verse 16 together. All right. We're reading from the ESV. One, two, three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Okay. All right. Keep going. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor is it Let me pray for us. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. All scripture is God breathed. And your word says that all scripture is useful for teaching. It's useful for building us up. It's useful for correcting us and training us in righteousness. And God, I pray that, Lord, that today this word, Lord, you would breathe upon it. You would breathe upon it, God, and it would take root inside of us, God, that the truth, the spiritual truth that you are wanting to draw out, God, and you're wanting to speak to us, God, would go out and that we would listen. We would hear. And God, the truth would get rooted in our hearts and it would bring forth much fruit. God, we bind the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. And we bind every work of the enemy that would try to mock or try to close our hearts to your word. And God, instead, we speak life and life abundant in this place. In Jesus name. Amen. amen. I even heard as some of you guys were reading, it was like, oh, 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 snap. That was how I felt when I was reading it. I was like, I, I'm so, Really? He's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> this is a passage that a lot of churches actually overlook. You know, they go to chapter 10 and then they skip over to the Lord's Supper in verse 17 in chapter 11. Let's not talk about head coverings. Let's not talk about this issue, because if we talk about it, some people are going to get offended. You know, God's not afraid of you being offended. Actually, sometimes God will offend you on purpose. I know that's outside of some of our boxes. God offend me. He's loving. He's kind. No, God, he offends the mind to reveal the heart. 
He will offend your thought patterns and everything that you've believed throughout your life because he wants to get to the root. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. And in this passage, I believe today he's going to get to the heart of the matter. I want to give you some context. So we've all read it. We read this where Paul is talking about head coverings and he's talking about how if a woman, if she prays with her head uncovered, it is a dishonor to her head. But if a man, he prays with his head covered, it's a dishonor. He, Paul goes on saying, well, if a woman's going to pray with her head uncovered, then she might as well shave her head. You know, you you remember that pop star? What was her name? Like Sinead, Sinead O'Connor? Was that outside of you guys? Is, uh, okay, no one knows what I'm talking about. Me, me and a couple people are on the same page. And Cassandra knows. I don't know why I know. You ever seen that movie G.I. Jane? Okay, there we go. We got, okay, there we go. There we go. You know, Demi Moore, she's like shaving her head. All of a sudden, I remember watching that movie and I was like, that ain't right. That ain't right. Why is she, why is she doing that? She, she, that ain't right. He says all these things. He talks about how man is the image, that man is the image and glory of God, but that woman is the glory of man. It's crazy. I remember when I read it, I felt uncomfortable. And, I, and I'm a guy, you know. I thought, you know, if I read this passage, I was going to be like, yeah. But then I read it and I was like, uh-oh. Is anybody watching me read this? <laughs> I want to let you know today I'm not going to tell you to come in next week wearing a veil. <laughs> Although if you want to, you know, keep the fashion going, make it happen. But Paul is speaking to us from a deeper spiritual truth. There's something deeper than that that God wants to pull out of this passage today. You know, when when the Bible is written, it's not just written with a historical context and it's not just written to a cultural context, but there's also multiple meanings. There can be a metaphorical or allegorical, a, a spiritual meaning that God wants to draw out of a passage. You know, you. I went to Torch and in some of my classes, Torch Seminary here in Seoul, in some of my classes, my professors, they were like, if you don't know the context, then it's wrong. Everything you preach is wrong. And I was like, that ain't what? And then we get to this passage and they're like, well, actually, you don't want to take the historical context. Because there's multiple ways that you can read the Bible and there's multiple things that you can draw from the Bible. But I want to give you some context to this passage because we need to understand what's going on. Paul writes this after he's talked about in chapter chapter 10, eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. Right. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and the past three messages out of this series has been about that. But here he switches topics and he starts talking about head coverings. Why is he doing this? Because in the church in Corinth, you had some sisters. Bless the sisters. But you had these sisters in Corinth that were standing up. And they were prophesying. You had some that wanted to prophesy and wanted to pray and do and minister, but they wanted to do it without their head covered. Now, today we'd be like, what's the big deal, Pastor Marcus? You know, most of the sisters in here right now are not wearing a hat. But in this cultural context, they had a belief that because there was no male or female, because we are all sons in Christ, because we are all one and we're all made sons, then I don't have to submit to my husband as my spiritual authority. I can actually stand and do whatever I want. You know, I just feel the Lord saying this, honey, honey, please, honey, honey, shut up, honey, shut up. I feel the Lord saying this. Honey, you should, you should really sit down. The pastor would be like, I think you need to sit down. You know, they would uncover and they would begin to prophesy and pray. And there was all this disorder that began to happen in the church. And they, these women desired to stand up and prophesy, but to do it without their heads covered. Verse four, it says, well, verse five, it says that every, well, verse three, let's look at verse three, actually. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. Everyone say wife. If you have an ESV, you can look in the footnotes and in the footnotes, there's it gives a specific meaning for this word wife. This word wife actually meant a woman that was wearing a veil. 
It represented that she was married in that cultural context. And so for a woman to stand up and remove her veil during that time, it was a very, they said, disgraceful, dishonorable thing to do. It was, and I'm going to go into why. I want to give you three, I'm going to give you three exact reasons why the women wore veils during that time. And I'm going somewhere. We're going somewhere today because we're going to talk about this issue of head covering. The first reason why these women during this time would wear wear these head covering, why it was such a big deal, was the first reason was because the head covering pointed to a covenant relationship. In the church during that time, when a woman was in there and she had her head covered, it was a sign that she was married. It was a sign that she was in covenant to someone else. Here at New Philly, we talk about the issue. We use this word a lot. We talk about covering. Everyone say covering. Covering. This is really what I want to talk about today is covering. This is what Paul's actually getting at, at the deep issue is covering. Here at New Philly, we talk about spiritual covering, but most of us don't actually know what that means. You know, what, what does it mean to be covered? What does it mean to have covering? You know, it's like, it means that I'm covered. Well, if you use the word in the definition, you probably don't know what it means, Right. Well, the first reason they would wear head coverings, because it represented that they were in a covenant. You knew not to holler at the girl wearing the green head covering because she was Jehu's wife and and Jehu crazy. (laughs) You know, homegirl with the purple head covering, you did not talk to her because she was Jehoshaphat's wife. If Jehoshaphat hear that you hollering at the girl with the purple head covering, you in trouble. It was a sign to everyone that they were in a covenant relationship. See, covering is all about covenant. Everyone say covenant. See, there's many believers in the body of Christ that go from church to church to church to church, but they never commit to a particular church. And because of that, they're not covered. The actual word for covering, there's three Hebrew words I'm going to give you. I may be able to give you all three, but there's two I know for sure. One Hebrew word for covering is the word kasah. Everyone says kasah. It's K-A-S-A-H, if you're taking notes. And it means to clothe. It means to clothe. It's to cover as with clothing. And for during that time in that first century, if a woman was walking around with a head covering, it was a sign that she was in covenant relationship. And this was important because a woman that was in covenant relationship in the first century meant that she was provided for. It meant that she was safe. If you saw a woman walking down the street and her head wasn't covered, it meant that she was either a widow or she was a prostitute or she was an orphan. You read this in this passage, it says the word wife. And even as I read it, I was thinking, oh, well, it must mean women that are like in their 20s and 30s, you know, marriageable age. But during that time, marriageable age was like 14 and up. So most of the women in the congregation were actually wearing head coverings. And so this covering represented that they were in a covenant relationship. If they didn't have their heads, if their heads were uncovered, it meant that they were hopping around or that their covering had died. And it meant that they were vulnerable. The second thing that that covering represented was protection. Everyone say protection. It's the Hebrew word sakak, S-A-K-A-K. And it means to cover or protect from harm. David writes it in Psalm 91, where he says, the Lord covers you with his pinions. He covers you with his wings. It's this word. And what it means is that covering this head covering represented protection for these women. In the cultural context, I'm not saying that today. Like like I said, next week, if you come in with a head covering, that's your choice. But at this time, it meant protection. Why? Because it meant that if you try to assault or you tried to do anything to this woman, you were going to have to answer to some man. It meant that this woman wearing this head covering, she is protected. She is safe. If anyone tries anything, there's someone that she's that they're going to have to report to. In Proverbs, it talks all about how if you sleep with an adulterous woman or you sleep with a woman that is married, her husband's going to seek you out and kill you. It says that in Proverbs. That's why it says don't commit adultery. (laughs) I remember reading that and I said, okay, check. Um, No. It represented protection. 
you know, there's there's not just a natural covering, but there's a spiritual covering. And many believers in the body of Christ, because they're not in covenant with a local church, they're not protected. All kinds of crazy things start happening in their life. And they're saying they come to me after service, say, Pastor Marcus, I've got all these things going on. I've got all these all these bad things are happening. And my question is, are you covered? Because if you're in covering, you're protected. But when you step outside of the covering, you're not. The third thing that head covering represented during that time was purity. Everyone say purity. I'm going to teach you something today. We're going deeper. You guys ready to go deep? You got your shovels? You know, it's time to go deep in the word. He's tired of people being shallow. God's tired of shallow Christians. They don't go anywhere. They just wade. And you can't, you know, you don't want to go in a walk. In Here, I want to show you what's in the, the shallow end. There's nothing in the shallow end. God wants to take you deeper. He wants to take you into the areas that are unknown. That's where the deep and mysterious things of God are. The third thing is purity. For a woman during that time, wearing that head covering represented purity. The word in the Hebrew, the third Hebrew word for covering, I don't remember it right now, but it means atonement. It literally means to atone for, to sanctify over time, to pay the cost for, to purify. And so when a woman would wear a veil, it was a sign to everyone else that she was a pure bride. That's why when a woman gets married, it's traditionally they would wear a veil. They wouldn't just wear white. They would wear a veil. And that was a sign that what was beneath the veil was pure. When the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they would have to cleanse themselves continually. And then they would go through the veil because what was under the veil was pure. You know, nowadays we look at women that wear head coverings and we make all kinds of assumptions, right? You know, I saw that woman. When we were in Bangladesh, I remember we were walking by and a woman had a head. She had a veil from top to bottom, just all black, everything, just black at the bottom, black, everything. She, I didn't even know how she was able to walk because, like, I couldn't see her eyes and she was just walking around. And my immediate assumption was thinking, oh, man, she's so oppressed, And so when I read this in the Bible about head coverings, my immediate assumption is to take my grid and impose it on the word of God and say, this must mean the oppression of women. But actually what it meant culturally during that time was that women were being provided for women were being protected. Women were pure. If a woman was walking around without her head covering, it meant she was a prostitute. Or she was a widow. Why am I talking about this? We're talking about this because Paul is using this to speak not just about natural covering, but about spiritual covering. I want us to read verse three, verse three again. And you got to get this verse right here. He says, I want you to understand that the head, everyone say head Head. of every man is Christ. And the head, everyone say head. Of a wife, meaning this is a woman that is probably between the ages of 14 and up, is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Paul makes it clear that the head of the man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, meaning her spiritual authority. And that Christ's, his head, his spiritual authority is God. Christ had a spiritual authority that he was in submission to. Do you know that God, the father, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's about to go to the cross and he's kind of crying and he's got these tears going and he's like, not my will, but your will be done. He says, I, the son does nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Christ was in submission because he recognized that his head was God, the father. In the same way, when Paul uses this word head, he's talking about spiritual authority Now, this is going to make the rest of these verses make sense. You ready? We're going to read through verses three to seven with this understanding. Now, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head, who's who's a man's head? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head With Christ covered, dishonors Christ. 
But every man, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head, her spiritual authority uncovered dishonors her spiritual authority. Since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife won't cover her spiritual authority, her head, her husband, then she should cut off her hair. You catch that? Paul's being real crafty with his speech. He's actually using head as a metaphor for spiritual authority. And maybe this word is actually harder than talking about head coverings. What Paul's saying here is, Verse four, he says, when a man prays or prophesies, prayer is to God and prophecy is to people. So when a man ministers, if he ministers in a way that has his head uncovered. If he ministers in a way that has his head covered, sorry, if he has his head covered, he dishonors him. Meaning that when a man ministers and if he doesn't expose Christ, if he doesn't reveal Christ, he dishonors Christ. But when a woman, when she ministers, if she ministers in a way that exposes her spiritual authority instead of covering him, she dishonors him. Why does Paul say this? Why does he speak to this? And why is it so? Why does he speak to men and women? It's like, Paul, don't you know that this is uncomfortable? Paul, don't you know that you say this on a university campus and someone someone's going to beat you up? The reason he said it is this. Because Satan's foremost temptation to a man is to cause him to ignore his head and not to represent him. But Satan's foremost temptation to a woman is to expose her head, to expose her spiritual authority rather than cover him. We see this in Genesis chapter two and three. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do I do I need to say it again? When a man, when Satan tempts a man, he tempts him to ignore Christ, to ignore his responsibility to reveal Christ, to be Christ. Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It says wives submit to their husbands. And then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it's talking not just about marriage, but it's talking about a bigger concept. And when Satan tempts a man, he tempts him to ignore his responsibility to expose and reveal Christ to people. But when Satan tempts a woman, he does it to uncover and expose her spiritual authority rather than covering him. In Genesis chapter two, we see this with Adam and Eve. We see this with our first parents. In Genesis chapter two and three, we see that God creates the heavens and the earth, right? We all know the story. And then God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he creates Adam. Did he create Adam and Eve at the same time? No, first he creates Adam. He makes man out of some dust. You know, I mean, he makes us out of dust, I I guess. We're, We're better than dust, right, man? Thank you, sister. Got to speak some identity into these guys. I am better than dirt. (laughs) Isn't it funny that that there's that saying, all men are dirt. It's jacked up. It's jacked up. We are not all dirt. Oh, snap. Biblically. Okay. Anyways, Um, in this passage, God creates Adam. He creates Adam. But then what does he do? He speaks to Adam and he says, Adam. I'm giving you this command. I'm giving you this garden for you to have authority over. And you can eat from any of the fruit of the garden except for one. Why does God speak this to Adam? It says in Genesis chapter 2, you can turn there if you want. God speaks this to Adam that you can eat from any of the fruit of the garden except for one. And then the next verse, it says, well, he says, if you eat of it, you'll surely die. And then the next verse says, then he created Eve. He put Adam to sleep and then. You know, he did his work. I would have loved to have been there to watch God create Eve out of a rib. Like, how do you do that? Like, that's all you got is a rib. Like, he didn't even start with like a thigh bone or nothing. He went with a rib. 
Well, he starts there and and he he does this. Why does God speak this to Adam? Because he speaks this to Adam about the Garden of Eden because he is defining for Adam the realm of his covering. He's defining for Adam the realm in which he is supposed to provide covering to Eve. He doesn't speak it to Adam and Eve. He speaks it to Adam. And then he creates Eve. And then we see in chapter three that when the serpent comes and tempts Eve, Eve already knows about God's command. Why? Because her spiritual authority had met with God, had heard from God and then spoke it to Eve. And so the serpent comes and we know he tempts Eve. He tempts Eve and he's he's like, you know, if if you eat that fruit, you're going to be all right. Don't worry. I don't know what God said. I don't know what Adam said. Actually, Satan's temptation towards Eve was not to disobey God. It was to disobey Adam. And the interesting thing is that the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, it says three things that that Eve was tempted by. It says that when in Genesis chapter two, verse six, I want you to turn there real quick. See, God creates Adam first. He speaks to Adam, the realm of his authority and covering. And then God creates Eve. But in that moment, when God created Eve and Adam saw Eve, you know, he was like flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, holler, you know. It then became Adam's responsibility to represent God to Eve. And so that's why Adam began to tell her the realm of his covering. But when the serpent came and deceived Eve, he tempts her and then he tempts her to step outside of Adam's covering. And she tempts him. And when she's tempted, Genesis chapter two, verse six, it says that the woman saw that the tree was three things. One, good for food. Meaning that Eve saw that the tree that was outside of her covering was good enough to nourish her and provide for her. What was the first thing I said that covering was meant to do in the first century? It was to show covenant, which was a sign of provision. The second thing that happened was that it was a delight to her eyes. The third thing I said that I said was that the covering represents purity. But now all of a sudden when Eve's outside of the covering and she sees the fruit that is up on the tree and it's a delight to her eyes, she begins to substitute outward appearance for inward holiness. So instead of having purity on the inside, she's deciding, I want what's good on the outside. And the third thing is, she says that it's desired to make one wise. Because Eve saw that if she could eat the fruit, she could protect herself. She didn't actually need Adam anymore. This is the beginning of what I like to call the independent woman theology. It did not start with Beyonce and Destiny's Child. It started with Eve. The shoes on my feet, I bought it. The clothes I'm wearing, I bought it. The rock I'm rocking, I bought it because I depend on me. Y'all know the words. All the women who's independent, throw your hands up for me. This was the beginning of the independent woman theology. And the independent woman theology says, I don't need a man. I don't need a husband. I don't need a husband. I don't need a head. I don't need spiritual authority. I can provide for myself. I can protect myself. I'm my, I can protect myself. I can cover myself. I don't need a spiritual authority. I don't need submission. I don't need covering. It's overrated. I don't need any of that. I can do it all for me. The independent woman theology says I can step outside and cover myself. I don't need anyone else to speak into my life. I don't need a man. I don't need a husband. I don't need a pastor. I don't need spiritual authority. It says that I can step outside and make it all happen for me. The independent woman theology takes pleasure in exposing her covering rather than covering. It takes pleasure in exposing their spiritual authority rather than covering him. Oh, do you know what Pastor Marcus did? Do you know what Pastor Christian said? Do you know what this happened? Do you know what this happened? Now, I said it's a theology, meaning that it's not 
just centered on one particular gender. It may be gender prevalent, but not gender specific. I've seen a lot of men who have an independent woman theology. Mm. But the problem with this independent woman theology is that it leaves you exposed. See, the moment when Eve stepped outside of the covering and she was making decisions for herself, she became exposed. And when she was exposed, she was trying to make decisions for herself, but it was different because the grace and the covering, the protection, the provision, it was not there. You know, it's funny. I'll talk about Beyonce again. Because I like Beyonce. Bless Beyonce. See, this independent woman theology, all it does is leave people exposed. And when you are exposed, you are vulnerable. I, I know there's this music video from the song. It's called, it's called Girls. Parentheses, run the world. Who run this? Girls. I remember, I remember hearing that song and I was like, okay, all right. Uh, you know, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that song. Okay, make it happen. But then I watched the video. And it was funny because an Emmaus student, he actually posted it on his Facebook earlier this week. And I was like, man, God is speaking because he said, I find it so interesting that a video called Girls Run the World has a bunch of women running around half naked. That's sending a confused message to the women of this society and the young girls as they're growing up because it's telling them that they can that they run the world, that they can be independent, that they don't need covering. They don't need spiritual authority. But at the end of the day, they're just exposing themselves. I see too many people in the church who live that way. I can decide for myself. I can do this for myself. I'm my own God. I'm my own pastor. I'm my own shepherd. I'm my own leader. But at the end of the day, you're just exposed. And you're using your exposure to try to get ahead. It makes you vulnerable. Vulnerable to attack. Vulnerable to be exploited. Vulnerable. But see, I don't want to stop there because there's an independent woman theology, but there is an independent man theology. Because Eve wasn't alone in the garden, because while Eve had stepped outside of the covering and while Eve was exposing Adam by stepping outside and saying, you know, what, Adam, you're not doing a good enough job. I'm going to decide it for you. Adam was just. OK, yeah, get that fruit. Oh, yeah, make it happen. Make it happen. It's cool. I see. I mean, I ain't covering you, but that fruit look good. (laughs) See, the independent man theology, instead of. As Paul said, he said, when a man prays or prophesies with his head covered, he dishonors his head. When a man ministers or he prays or prophesies or he does anything not trying to expose and represent God. He dishonors God. See, the independent man theology says, well, um, I don't have to take responsibility. The independent man theology, it says, I don't have to take responsibility for you, Eve. See, Adam's sin was not eating the fruit. Adam's sin was that he did not pull Eve out and back into the covering. See, Adam was just chilling. And when Eve stepped outside of the covering, you notice God didn't show up on the scene yet. God didn't show up on the scene and be like, hey, uh, somebody ate some fruit. Y'all went to my fruit refrigerator and ate fruit. I can tell that there's a banana missing. Where's it at? Where's it at, Eve? I know you did it. Adam, stay over chilling. He didn't do that. No, he waited. He waited actually until Adam ate. Their eyes opened up that they were exposed when Adam ate. Why is that? Because Satan comes to a man in the independent man theology and he says, you can abdicate all responsibility. Don't be responsible for anyone else but yourself. Don't look out for anyone else but number one. It's all about your needs. It's all about using others and exploiting others for yourself. 
you know, Adam was worse. Adam did nothing when he was called to represent God to Eve. He was called to represent God to his wife Eve, but instead he decided that he wasn't going to take that up. He was going to cover God and expose Eve. And that's what happened when God showed up, right? What's up? I know there's two fruit missing now. There's two bananas that are gone. Adam, what's up? I gave you the keys to the fruit refrigerator. And what does Adam say? The woman did it. That woman you gave me. He covered up God and exposed Eve. He said, I'm going to ignore you, God, but I'm going to expose my wife. The moment Eve ate the fruit, she was dying. You got to understand that. The moment his wife, the moment Eve went, she was dying. He had a wife with a terminal disease right there. She was going to die. And instead, he decided, you know, it was like a bad Korean drama. He said, you're dying. I want some fruit, too. I'm going to die with you. When if Adam would have just pulled her back into covering, no one would have died. The independent man theology says. I don't need God. I'm not responsible to God or anyone else around me. I make my own decisions. I'm the leader of my own destiny. I'm the master of my own universe. And the people around me are just vessels that I use for my own desire my own needs and what happens with that is that people get exploited what happens with that eve was dying but adam didn't care that means that people will be dying and perishing all around you but you don't care because it's all about you adam just cared about looking right before god but he didn't realize that him looking right before god meant that he took care of eve That he took care of the ones that were entrusted to him. Which theology are you living in? Are you abdicating responsibility? When a man abdicates responsibility, he never grows up. Is that selfishness? Because see, what happens when you walk into independent man theology is that you misrepresent God. That's why so many people who come into the church are beat, beat up and broken and they have a hard time trusting God. It's because there was someone who was meant to be responsible to God for them. And they decided, I don't want that responsibility. I'm going to abdicate that. I don't really care what happens to you. It's and then all of a sudden you a child or a person or a person who comes into the house, they see it and they say. That must be how God is. At the end of the day, God doesn't really care. He's not actually responsible for my life. It causes waywardness, this independent man theology does, because when you cover God, you cover the source of wisdom and revelation. Now you're just trying to decide where you need to go. But there's no voice. Because when the voice was speaking, you shut it off. You're covered, but the people under you are dying or exposed. But the funny thing is, is that when you reveal Christ, when you expose Christ, other people are covered. What theology are you living in? The independent woman theology says, I don't need covering. I, the covering around me, it's not sufficient anyways. I'll decide it for myself. I'll pray and prophesy, but I'll do it with my head exposed. I'll do it with all of their weaknesses exposed because I want to prove that I'm better. Or is it in an independent man theology? It says, I know when I die, I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for everything I do, but not right now. So I'm going to do my own thing. See, the biggest problem is that here's what I think is the biggest problem with this is that most of us live with an independent woman theology in the church and independent man theology outside of it. 
that when we're in, within the four walls of the church, we we don't trust and we we and we are constantly looking for reasons to step outside of the covering. And we're constantly like, well, I don't need spiritual authority. I don't need covering. I don't need this person. I don't need my small group leader. I don't need this leader or this pastor. I don't. You know what? They're they're a good friend, but not a good leader. They're a good friend, but not my pastor. But then when we step outside of the four walls of the church. We're walking in that independent man theology. That says I'm not going to be responsible to God or for anyone else. And then people outside of the church, what happens is they see us and then they think they get a misrepresentation of God. But then people inside of the church you're wondering why you feel exploited. You're wondering why you feel exposed. But it's probably because you stepped out of the covering. Paul gets at some deep spiritual truth with something as simple as a head covering. But how do we get free? I don't want to put you in a pit and leave you there. That's not loving. How do we get out of this? How do we break free from an independent woman theology? I'll give you three steps. The first is covenant. If you're walking in that independent woman theology, you need to come into covenant. And maybe you're already in covenant. What I mean when I say covenant is that means that you need to join a local church. The days of you hopping around are over. The days of you going from church to church and evaluating, oh, well, I like this pastor's message or I didn't like this pastor's message or, oh, that leader or this building. I didn't like the chairs. It hurt my butt. The days of doing that evaluation is over. And the time is for you to start committing. Coming into covenant. You know, for a woman in the first century, she didn't choose her husband. The father chose her husband for her. You don't choose the church that you're supposed to go to. The father chooses it for you. The question is, are you going to commit? Are you going to join and actually be there? The second thing. You can't just come into covering. You can't just covenant. You actually have to put yourself under the covering. Meaning that you actually have to submit submission. Hebrew says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. As they stand as men who must give an account. You want their work to be a joy, not a burden, because that would be of no advantage to you. We talk about submission a lot here in this house, but really I want to get to the third thing, and that's honor. The biggest issue with these women that were doing this was not their submission. It was the dishonor. When you look at your leaders, when you look at the people who are your small group leader, or your community group leader or your pastors or the people that God has placed over you, do you see them as God sees them? That's what honor is. Honor is seeing someone as God sees them. Pastor Christian, he talked about something really cool. He said, he said, Pastor, he was talking about Sky, Sky Becker, our healing and deliverance director, one of our healing and deliverance directors at our Hillside campus. And she also attends our Eton campus here and there. And he said, Sky, as your friend, can't do anything for you. Sky, as your friend that you get coffee with and you hang out with, Sky can't do nothing for you. You got problems, Sky can sit there and listen. But Pastor Sky, can set you free. Pastor Sky can break you out of your bondage. Pastor Sky has a grace to set you free. Do you see your leaders as as your friends? Oh, well this, you know, this is my friend. If that's the case, they don't have the grace to speak in your life and to set you free. Cuz you're not giving it to them. You're not opening up your heart. Honor. Do you see your leaders and the people that God's placed over you 
as God does. And the three, I'm going to go over these last three real quick. For the independent man theology. How do you get over the independent man theology? The first one is listen and seek God. The foremost problem with the independent man theology is that you're ignoring what God has to say. But the the way that you come around it is that you actually listen. You listen when God's speaking to you and you seek God wholeheartedly. Proverbs talks about it. My son, if you will hear your father's instructions and not forsake your mother's teaching. Then wisdom, it'll be like a. It'll be like a crown on your head and a garland around your neck. But you got to first listen. That means that you don't just hear and say, uh, yeah, okay, cool. All right, yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But you actually let those words get in deep. The second is obey. So you don't just listen when God speaks to you, but you actually got to do it. Obey and be accountable. Because the problem with the independent man theology is that You're abdicating responsibility. So you actually need to obey and then allow people to keep you accountable and speak into your life. And the third is to serve selflessly. You know, sisters, if if you're interested in someone but you see that they're not even listening to the word of god or they're not they're not even taking notes or they're not even internalizing what the word of god is going out why would you why would you why would you ever consider that person that means when god speaks to them they're not going to take those words and actually live them out to keep you safe if they're not obeying what god is saying and being held accountable by other spiritual leaders how do you know that they're going to be accountable and keep you safe in a, in a covenant relationship. If they're not serving selflessly in a small group or if they're not serving selflessly even to just move chairs, how do you know they're going to serve you in a covenant relationship? Oh, he looks nice. He's cute. Cute don't last that long. <laughs> Brothers, if a sister you think is cute, but she's not in covenant Mm. And if there's no submission and honor just to the leaders that God has placed over you, how do you know that she's going to actually submit and honor you? Those are just things to think about. See, God wants this house to be a house, not just of order, but a house that is filled with life. And this house can only be filled with life when we're not walking in our own independent ways, but we're walking together as one community. Looking out for one another, serving one another, and in covenant with one another. That's why the independent man and independent woman theology has to be broken off of us so that we can love one another well. Let's pray.